It's Arnold Palmer Invitational Week. We're going to speak with a multiple-time winner on tour and what his experiences were like with the King. Plus, you will hear from the man himself. It was his last long-form sit-down interview of his life. You're going to hear it this morning on the Fairways of Life Worldwide. Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. It's one of the great weeks in the world of golf when the world of golf comes to Orlando at Bay Hill. Arnold Palmer Invitational, as it is now known, it's had various names over the years. It was back in 1979 that it moved from Rio Pernar, what was then known as the Citrus Open, over to Bay Hill. And, and obviously the names over those decades were associated with who the sponsors were accordingly. But then they decided, let's just call it the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And along with the Memorial, along with the Genesis Tigers event, these invitational events are treated as more important. I'll go through the details of that when I talk about the preview of golf coming up this week. But it is, in many ways, an opportunity for the game of golf to celebrate the man himself, Arnold Palmer. And his impact on the game was so far-reaching and so significant in, in a number of different ways. And it's, it is always interesting because when you have people of of that stature. And when you really look at the pantheon of, of golf, you're talking about Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods and, and Ben Hogan in terms of, of their impact. Bobby Jones is more. I don't mean to, to limit the number of names. I'm just trying to focus on Mr. Palmer at, the, at this case. And who he was as a person directly played into how and why he had such an impact in the game of golf. Considering that right as he came onto the game, Remember, he won the U.S. Amateur in Detroit in 1954 and decides he's going to turn professional and decides he's going to give it a go. Well, right at the same time as he decided to become a touring pro and he had that unique grip and he had that unique swing and all that went along with it, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little side story. Wilson Golf sent Gene Sarazen off to check out Arnold Palmer at that U.S. Amateur. And Sarazen came back, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not directly quoting, he came back and said, all he plays, plays are hooks. He lunges at the ball. I don't see it developing into much. That was paraphrased, the review that he went back to Wilson with about Arnold Palmer. And obviously, Mr. Palmer had great faith in who he was and how he did it, and he did it in a fabulous way. But part of what made him such a legend was that right as he was deciding that he was going to become a tour pro and d- dedicate his life to that, television was discovering the game of golf. It was a combination of these two factors at the same time. So he, with his charisma and his good looks, was instantly cast as the leading man. And why not? Because by the late 1950s, He was already winning major championships. He was already being introduced to the world where people are going, Wade, what's going on here? Served in the National Guard, Arnie's Army. It was all about the power of his personality. And from 1958 to 1964, he did it as well or better than anyone ever. 
that was the significance of, of what Arnold Palmer did. Now, he wasn't done after that. He still continued to contend in majors. He won on the PGA Tour all the way up until 1973 at the Bob Hope. And then when Arnold Palmer turned 50 in 1980, that was when the world of golf went, you know what, maybe we should create a whole new tour here for these legends who are still playing golf, still capable of playing golf. You remember Sam Snead, right up until 1979, was still making cuts in the PGA Tour in his late 60s. So they decided they were going to form what was then called the Senior Tour, now called the Champions Tour. And Arnold Palmer continued in his winning ways. But when it comes to Mr. Palmer, it was his ability to connect with other human beings. It was a warmth that radiated from him. And, and there, there was one story after another, after another, after another about how when you were with Mr. Palmer, nothing else mattered. It was clear at that point in time, he just had this ability to connect with you that even if it was for a fraction of a second, even if it was just catching your eye in the gallery, there was a connection there. And I think for many famous people, uh, their instinct is that when they're in a setting where people are going to be looking at them and this, this idea of in some way, or way, shape, or form, they want something from you, they tend to divert their eyes. They tend to not look. They tend to look ahead, etc. Mr. Palmer was not that way. He, he was never that way. When, when he would walk through a crowd, he would be looking and, and connecting with one soul after another. It was the most amazing thing. I can remember one year working at, at the, doing the broadcast at Bay Hill and, and finishing up, and I went back into the, the clubhouse and the big grill room there, and I forget who was looking for someone in, in the broadcast team. Maybe it was our guest coming up, Billy Kratzer. I don't remember who it was. But I remember walking in there, and nobody – I just I was looking around. You know, I still had all my gear on and all the rest. And I was looking around, and nobody lifted their head. Why would they? Except for Arnold Palmer, sitting at a table, uh, back to the wall so we could see the room – and he lifted his head and he makes that connection. He gives you a little nod. It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. And, and he was such a special person because he was willing to give of himself. Loved it. Loved people. Uh, it, it, another interesting aside with, with Mr. Palmer that you may appreciate. You guys hear how often he speaks about, or he used to speak to, to young players about how they sign their autograph. And he looked upon it as, 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 a, as a measure of respect that after that person left the event, hours, days, weeks, months, years, they could look at that autograph and go, oh, that's the autograph of Arnold Palmer. Uh, and few realized that he used to practice his autograph. And I remember, uh, Dom, you probably re remember this, when, when Mark Carnevale was on and he asked Mr. Palmer to sign something for him, something special. And Mr. Palmer went in his office and was, you know, writing, writing. And he said, what are you, what, you, know, what are you doing, sir? He, he was practicing his signature that he'd probably done millions of times. And he was practicing for this particular piece of, of memorabilia because, because he knew how special it was to someone else. It was just, so that's just part of the reason why this week is so important. And where he impacted the game was more than just the way that he impacted with fans, which was massive in and of itself and very important to the development of the game. 
but in so many other areas as well. Uh, what he did for the Open uh, to, to, if not establish it amongst the majors, because obviously it was already a major championship, but it had greatly diminished over the years, especially post-war. Uh, and he brought it back in, in absolute full stature uh, to what it ever had. And, and it continued therefrom. Uh, and that's just one more area that, that people forget. The, the coining of the phrase of, the, of the, the Grand Slam, the modern Grand Slam between he and, and Bob Drum uh, on, on a plane uh, with his aspirations from 1960 to win all four of the recognized majors. And again, the impact that that has on everything else his involvement with the Ryder Cup, his involvement with the establishment of the PGA Tour as we now know it proper. All of these things, there's so many of them, not to mention the fact that there's a hospital right here in town named after him. It's just one of the most incredible individuals, full stop, uh, but one of the most important individuals in the game of golf. And so we're going to be talking about that and celebrating that today. And as I mentioned to you, you're going to hear from the man himself because we had the incredible honor of sitting down with him in what turned out to be his last full-form interview. Uh, and I can't wait for you to hear that, too. And there's some stories leading into that that speak to his humility and, and just how unique an individual he was. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, absolutely delighted to be joined by our next guest, uh, a longtime friend and someone who... What he has accomplished in the game of golf is, is most distinctive indeed because we all know that you know, playing golf at the highest level is hard. Uh, playing golf at the highest level for more than a quarter century definitely puts you in some rarefied air. Now, that air is something that is occupied by our next guest and Billy Kratzer. From 1974 to 1997, Billy played in, get this, 481 PGA Tour events, an incredible number in and of itself. Over that span, he amassed 123 top 25s, 59 top 10s, five third-place finishes, eight runner-ups, and four victories. Those four wins at the 1976 Walt Disney World National Team Championship. Woody Blackburn was his partner. The 1977 Sammy Davis Jr. Greater Hartford Open. The 1980 Greater Milwaukee Open. And the 1984 Pensacola Open. In 1978, our man finished tied for fifth in the Masters, tied for sixth at the U.S. Open, tied for 12th at the PGA Championship. He had played in a stretch of golf from 1977 to 1980. That was truly something else. In 119 starts over those four years, he made 104 cuts, almost 90%. He had 65 Top 25s, that's better than 55%. And he had 39 top 10s, yes, 33%, but nine of those top 10s were in the majors. We're talking about being contention. He collected two wins and finished in the top tw uh, three 12 times over that span. Many of you, I suspect, may not have known of his proficiency on the golf course. Why? Because you're used to, for the last few decades, watching him, well, everywhere, including Golf Channel, ESPN, Turner, CBS, NBC, Sirius XM, and this week you'll be able to hear him as the lead analyst calling the action from the Arnold Palmer Invitational for PGA Tour Live, which will kick off super early on Thursday morning. I believe at 6.45 we'll confirm the same. Absolute delight to welcome Billy Kratzer to the show. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Matt. Um, 
boy, I'd like a copy of that because I actually forgot that I could actually play this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could play this game. It's awesome. But you could speak of the game, too, which we appreciate as well. So I do want to talk to you about Mr. Palmer. Uh, but before we get into that, how's life? How are things going? What's up with you? Things are going well. Um, you know, when you look at, at what the PGA Tour has done, what Jay Monahan and his team, how they've been able to go through this pandemic, uh, have, you know, the competition for the players, uh, access for these players, uh, the ability for the players to stay safe. It's been fantastic. Uh, this is kind of the super year with 50 tournaments, uh, six majors uh, in this wraparound season. But all is good, Matt. Uh, you know, we're out here. We're watching golf. Uh, it was a great week last week uh, with Colin Morikawa winning uh, and Brandon Grace winning. Uh, Annika got back on the course. Uh, the quarters backed their wins up. I mean, golf's in a great spot. And, uh, you know, I'm just loving being a part of it and being able to commentate. Dude, I sent you a text a couple weeks ago had a guy come up to me, and it's not unusual that people come up and they'll go, oh, do you know John Cook or do you know Billy Kratz? They, they ask you about your friend. Sure, sure. And he goes, well, I want to ask you about Billy Kratz. I'm like, yeah, um, it's, again, it's not unusual. And he, this, guy, this guy was from Indiana, and he was, he was excited to talk to you about it, but he didn't talk about Billy. He talked <laughs> to me about your sister, and he talked to me about your dad. And he said, he said, oh, his dad was a legend, absolute legend. So I wrote to Billy about it afterwards and said, I just had this guy come up and talk to me about your father, who was uh, a, a PGA professional uh, for, for years and years and years. How cool is that for you to, to hear about random people that you bump into and they're still talking about your dad and your family? Well, I, th I think that speaks volumes as to the way he treated the profession, uh, what he wanted to do in the workplace uh, at the Fort Wayne Country Club. He was the head professional director of golf. Uh, that title had been changed years later, but uh, those 43 years that he was in charge, it was amazing. Uh, he had a great support from the membership there. Um, but, uh, you know, he kind of ran it uh, like he thought it should be run. And uh, I think people respect that. And I think when you go to a club, uh, you, you, you want to make sure that the experience is a good one. Uh, and uh, he was a always able to do that. He was always top shelf, always did everything first class. Pro shop was first class. Golf carts were first class. Um, in fact, he instituted, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Evans Scholar Caddy program uh, at the Fort Wayne Country Club. Uh, many, many uh, kids, uh, you know, young men, young women have gone to college on the Evans Scholarship that have gone through the Fort Wayne Country Club. And in fact, uh, after uh, a few years of his retirement, uh, the club decided to go ahead and erect a statue of a caddy in front of the clubhouse in memory of my father, uh, which is very meaningful to me. That's awesome stuff. And, and he is uh, fondly remembered, and I hope that that's a, a source of comfort for you as well, to think that uh, all these years later people are still coming up and talking to random people like me about your dad and the impact that he had on their lives. Uh, when you were playing, Billy, and when you were playing your best, as we were just illustrating in, in that, that piece. It was during a time that I like to call when giants roamed because 
you had this massive, massive group of Hall of Famers, and you happened to be playing during, when you go from the late 70s into the 80s, where there was even a transition from the dominance of the Nicholas years into the Watson years, and then another transition into Faldo and, and Norman and what have you that led right up to Tiger Woods in, in 1997. So it was, a, it was a time period of a bridge. But what was it like for you as a young man going out on tour, whether we're talking about Arnold Palmer, whether we're talking about Sam Snead still out there playing, whether we're talking about uh, the Hale Irwins or the Raymond Floyds or the Lee Trevinos or, yeah, the Jack Nicklauses. It was an incredible time in which to compete, and yet you did it, you did it well, and you won. Well, it was an incredible time. And, and when you start mentioning the names, and, um, you know, as a, as a young player, your head, be, you know, it's on a swivel because huh. you're looking and right, you know, it's, uh, the names you mentioned, uh, you know, Hale Irwin, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, all, all the, the greats of the game, they'd be on the range. And all of a sudden you could, you could pretty much get lost in not doing what you needed to do. You just got to be over there watching, <laughs> uh, you know, what they were doing. But, um, Matt, I've, I've got to say, I, I was, I've been in the sweet spot. You know, when you start talking about the sweet spot and you start talking about that era of players and where we are today, when I think about, the, you know, when I played, I played with Arnold. I played uh, I played with Hale Irwin and Sam Snead in the final round of the 1977 PGA that Lanny Watkins won. Um, so when you talk about all of those Hall of Famers that I was able to play with, and then guess what, in 1997, when I kind of stepped away uh, for good, guess who came on the scene? <laughs> Tiger Woods. So from that point forward, then I was able to watch these, you know, Tiger Woods, what he did, uh, you know, throughout his career up until now, uh, to be able to watch him right there in front of me, inside the ropes, commentate. It was actually the sweet spot uh I can't think of a better era of golf to be in than what I was in. But um, I wish I could have had a, a longer career and, and played a little bit better. But uh, it was still a lot of fun. But, you know, watching these young kids play today, I mean, it is amazing. Well, uh, this week but, those young kids will be playing at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, which is intended to honor the memory of one who had such a massive impact on the game. I know it's a wide net to cast Billy Cratchit to ask you of your memories of Arnold Palmer, but I, I, I would love to start there. I, I'm just curious what, what you thought about the man, your relationship with him, and, and what made him so special. Hold on one second, folks. Is Billy's... Uh, audio seemingly went away right as I was asking the question about Arnold Palmer. So what we'll do is we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back we'll sort through with uh, Billy Kratzer and on the audio side so that we can hear the answer to that question that I was asking because I can't wait to hear what the answer to that question is. I want to remind everybody that PGA Tour Superstore, uh, you can check out them on .com, pgatoursuperstore.com or you can pick up product curbside or if you want to, you can shop safely in their stores. They are experts at what they do. There is a reason why they are the number one golf retailer in all of the country. And they've got, well, 
everything you possibly could be looking for. Check them out yourself. Why don't you start at pjtoursuperstore.com and decide what is the best path for you. And then once you decide, make sure you get fit for whatever equipment you're in there to buy, or maybe it's clothing, or maybe it's shoes, or anything else that you're looking for in the game. Back with more of the Fairways of Life show right after these words with Billy Kratzer. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. TheGolfTravelGroup.com is a luxury golf tour operator that specializes in custom travel itineraries to Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, Iceland, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and more. Guaranteed advanced tee times, incredible accommodations, airport meet and greet services, private guided tours, and private drivers, all in luxury vehicles. And they have a staff that's been doing it forever. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. The best golf experiences are the unique ones that combine breathtaking beauty, inspiring designs, and refined luxuries. Streamsong Resort, conveniently located in Central Florida, is unlike any golf experience you've ever had. Award-winning courses by Corin Crenshaw, Tom Doak, and Gil Hans will challenge and amaze in a dunescape you'll swear cannot exist in Florida. Awaken your senses then at their opulent spa or enjoy world-class bass fishing, archery, or clay shooting. The options are endless, and you can cap it all off with luscious and distinctive culinary choices to delight any palate. Visit StreamSongResort.com today to plan your golf trip. That's everything that you would want and nothing like you've ever experienced. I'm Tiger Woods, and I chose Bridgestone. I wanted to be with a company that I knew, and then on top of that, I made superior products, so I did. I came back and I started playing with the Bridgestone Tour BXS, and it's allowed me to maintain the spin and the feel I like around the greens, especially my short irons, but also have that penetrating flight through the wind. The aerodynamics have been phenomenal. I know the quality that Bridgestone has, R&D that's available to them, and what they were able to create to help me win golf tournaments. Even though we're in Texas, we don't believe that bigger is always better. At Ben Hogan Golf, we believe in something called micromanufacturing, a concept Mr. Hogan taught us long ago. It's a belief that handcrafting golf clubs one at a time to your exacting specifications is the reason we make some of the best quality and best performing equipment in the world. And we don't believe in big prices. That's why we only sell directly to you at BenHoganGolf.com. Let me ask you a question. Are you in pain on the golf course? You know, pain management is a crisis in America. It affects over 100 million people and 35% of golfers, but now we can do something about it. BioFit 360 is a new company here to help us manage and alleviate that pain naturally. They've developed a formula that safely extracts CBD from the hemp plant and utilizes all of its healing properties to help us. They have a relief cream, they have gummies, they have sleep aids, and much more. It will change the way you feel on the golf course and in life. All you need to do is head to BioFit360.com. Feel better, do better, be better. Hi, I'm Brian Hammonds. You country club members can now represent your club and compete in a Ryder Cup-style event. The inaugural Country Club National Championship presented by Fuzzy's Ultra Premium Vodka. It's October 12th through the 17th at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. 
The field is limited, so don't delay. For more information, go to ccncgolf.com. That's ccncgolf.com. I hope to see you and your team in Orlando. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show on this Tuesday. Standing by with Billy Kratzer. Had an issue with his audio on that one. You know, in that block, you may have heard the Biofit360.com ad because it's the, the, you know, the CBD oil and people are using it for pain and, and pain management, etc. cetera. Uh, the missus is using, they have one called Deep Sleep and she is sleeping like she never has before. So uh, check that out too. If, if I mean, who doesn't want to sleep better? Biofit360.com for more information on that. All right, so Billy Kratzer, dude, I don't know what happened with the feed. Dom told me you got a spam call or something and it kicked off your audio. <laughs> so, welcome back. Uh, I was asking you about Mr. Palmer and I thought you were just being dramatic in terms of how you were starting. I didn't even realize your, your audio had dropped. Uh, tell us if you would, please, if you could pick up from where you were before, on what made Arnold Palmer, Arnold Palmer? Well, uh, what you, you spoke about and his sincerity, uh, you know, him taking me under his wing, uh, you know, I had the opportunity because I had a little bit of a head start. Uh, when I was 16 years old, Arnold came to the Fort Wayne area and actually gave an exhibition that I was invited to play alongside Arnold and a gentleman by the name of Dave Shoemaker. So I played 18 Arnold Palmer when I was 16 years old. So you can only imagine how nervous I was. And I brought that story up to him and um, we kind of chatted and we kind of hit it off. Uh, No, I didn't go to Wake Forest. I went to Georgia, but it was still, uh, you know, we still had a a special relationship. And in fact, it was, it was so special, Matt, that, uh, you know, he kind of became, you know, a fatherly confidant uh, for me. Uh, he was someone that I could go and I could trust, and and I knew that I was going to get the right advice. And um, you know, coming up on uh, four years, uh, I lost them both in the same year, um, one in August, one in September. But he was just special. Um, you know, he 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 said he remembered that time when he came to the Fort Wayne area. He won a golf tournament in in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, but he would always he would always lend that helping hand on the golf course. You know, I remember at Augusta, uh, we're playing the eleventh hole, <clears throat> then we're playing a practice round, and I thought I hit a pretty good drive, and and he kind of grabbed me by the, the the shirt and he said, "Hey, come over here. I want you to look at something." And so he took me to the far left hand side of the fairway on number eleven. It certainly doesn't have the length that it it does today, but he brought me all the way over there, and he says. What do you like or dislike about this look going into the 11th green? I said, well, what I like is that the water, I can hit over the water. I don't have to hit with the water alongside. He said, exactly. Hit it over here. And so, you know, he was always offering that that, that information, that valuable information. And it, it wasn't necessarily always at Augusta. Uh, if we were at a major championship together, uh, we'd try to play. But, um, you know, some of the stories, uh, you know, everyone thinks that Phil started the Tuesday game. No, it was uh, Arnold had the Tuesday game. Lanny was a participant. Weisskopf was a participant. Sneed, uh, we all love to participate. And, you know, Arnold on Tuesday, he'd play as hard on Tuesday as he would starting Thursday in the tournament. And so that's what made him special is because, 
he wanted to to lend his expertise and what he had learned in the game and, and what he had done, what he had accomplished. He wanted to just pass it on down. And um, I just can't say enough about the man. Yeah, I mean, from the standpoint of how Arnold Palmer connected with other human beings and the, the warmth that, that radiated from his soul, I, I want to pick up on, on something that you were just touching on, and that is the competitor that was Arnold Palmer. Uh, yeah, he won over 60 times on the PGA Tour, and he won seven major championships. He was capable of winning. And then when you talk about these Tuesday games, which I get that I'm sure were crazy fun, but I'm also sure that every one of you were out there ready to slice each other's throat in order to win that match. Uh, could you talk to us about what he was like when he was in between the ropes, his focus, his playing style, just his ability and the fact that he had a mad good game? Once, <clears throat> once Arnold uh, stepped inside the ropes, um, yeah, he could put a smile on his face and, and he connected with the gallery and everything, but it was pretty much all business. Um, you know, you try to, the time between the tee shot and the second shot or between shots, you try to maybe clear your mind a little bit, but Arnold was, you know, he was very um, kind of a, a driven individual. And, you know, he kind of made it known what he wanted to talk about, what he didn't want to talk about. And, uh, but yeah, once he got inside the ropes, he was uh, the ultimate competitor. I mean, he just hated to lose. <laughs> and, 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 to win as much as he did, you know, you think about it, and, and we talk about players, we talk about him, and you talk about Arnold, and you talk about the sixty wins and uh, over sixty wins and, and the major championships. You know, had he not been Arnold Palmer, had he been maybe a little more of a kind of a tactician, we'll say, on the golf course, maybe that maybe that number would have been approaching seventy five or eighty. We don't know. Um, you know, we often talk about it, but, you know, that's what made Arnold great. I mean, he never saw a shot that he didn't think he could hit. Uh, in fact, it was hard for him to to actually give in uh, to just kind of putting it back in play and then going down the fairway. And I think that's what made Arnold so great, and that's what we loved about him. And if he did happen to hit an errant shot on Tuesday – we kind of all sneak over there to see what he had because he'd try to, you know, if the flagstick was on a lily pad over in the pond over on the left, he'd go ahead and shoot at it. You know, he would think that he could put it on that lily pad. And, you know, not only in the ropes on PGA Tour events, but, you know, when the off season, when we when there was an off season, mm -hmm. um, he'd be in Bay Hill. He'd be there, he'd be playing, and guess what, at noon, Every day, there was a game, and if you wanted action, you could get it. Amazing stuff. If Could you even define, Billy, if I asked you the question of what do you feel the lasting legacy of Arnold Palmer is to golf? The lasting legacy, I think, for Arnold is the genuine human being that he really was and the amount of respect that he commanded without having to say a word. I think the reverence that, that everyone felt 
when Arnold was on property, um, even at his at the API, uh, when he was on site, I mean, there was just that 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 reverence that you just wanted to be around him. He had that magnetism that that you would just gravitate to, mm-hmm. and um, all the experience that I had with him were just unbelievable. And the, and one of the last ones was over at the open championship at St. Andrews when, uh, they played the little, uh, four hole tournament of all the, the past yeah, open championship. Yep. And he was, and he was riding around and, uh, just kind of just advising his team how to play and everything. And it was just so much fun to be around him and, you know, it's that's what I can kind of remember the most is is that him looking and he had that just that little smile looking at you, and then you knew you knew you were really good friends with Arnold when he put that hand on your shoulder and just kind of dug that thumb into your shoulder, and he said, "How you doing, son?" and and you know it was just a special feeling and. Even in his latter years, um, doing Golf Central in Orlando, Matt, uh, I would go into the uh, Bay Bar, and he and Dow Fensterwald, who's a very close friend, they'd be in there, they'd be having dinner, chatting and everything, and he would always, always make the effort to come up and, and just say, is there anything we can do better for you while you're here? And, and that's our what a cool story. What an incredibly cool story. Uh, Billy, you're on the air uh, starting Thursday morning for PGA Tour Live. What time are you guys uh, kicking it off, or what time do you get started? Ooh, I've got to start at 645. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to be starting. Uh, you know, I've, I've spoken to uh, some of my friends down there, and they say the golf course is just immaculate. Cannot wait, my friend. Thank you so much for your time as, as ever. Uh, we're, obviously, we're going to have you back on again, but one of these times, I want to go into some detail with your career as well. Talk about your wins, talk about close calls, talk about some of the battles that you had along the way and have some fun with that. But today was about Mr. Palmer, and we thank you for sharing some of your stories and some, some of the things you remember the most about Arnold Palmer. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. That was Billy Kratzer uh, joining us live on this Tuesday morning. So what we have coming up next for you is incredibly special. Before, when, when, if you guys remember, Mr. Palmer, which kind of led to ultimately his demise, if you, if you will, was he got hurt. He, was, he, he told me that he was on his way to speak to a group and he slipped on a throw rug in his house and he came down and he dislocated his shoulder, came down hard. And he told me he was scared. He was very scared. Uh, and that injury kind of led in some ways, and this is my interpretation, not, not anything that I've officially ever heard from the family or what have you, but kind of led to his physical uh, diminishment. And... What you're about to hear when when we come back is the last full-length, unstructured, ask-any-question-you-want-sit-down interview with Arnold Palmer. And before I play it, I'll give you a little bit of background into what happened 
leading in, which speaks to the great man. AtourEdge.com. If you log on there today, you can see their entire product line. It is a massive product line at that. And that includes the new 721 series. I'll be doing a feature on the 721 coming up in about a week and a half on Golf Channel. We'll be shooting one for Fairways of Life in just a few days here in this studio because the technology in this new equipment is the best technology I've ever seen from TourEdge. They're always on the cutting edge of technology with the other companies, talking about perimeter weighting and high MOI and the use of multi-materials and all the things that go into it. But they have a philosophy that you don't have to remortgage the house in order to be custom fit and in order to take advantage of the same. And then they back it with a lifetime warranty. It is that special a company. TourEdge.com, check it out today. They're sold everywhere, including the PGA Tour Superstore, and they even sell the box sets if you want to bring a son or a daughter or a granddaughter or a grandson into the game or maybe a spouse or someone that's either never been a part of golf or they're coming back to it again. These box sets have everything you need inside the box from the bag to the clubs. Uh, Check it out today at TourEdge.com, and please stay with us for what's coming up next because I think you're going to find it to be very, very special. If I told you legends like Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross have designed and inspired more than 10 breathtaking courses and they're all in one place, would you believe me? Where is this special place? How far do I have to travel for this golfing nirvana? The answer could both surprise and delight you. It's right around the corner in the heartland of the country. It's Boyne Golf in Northern Michigan. It's a destination so special, so unique, that you'll think you're playing golf on a work of art along the cliffs of the Monterey Peninsula or the raw, sweeping landscapes of Scotland. From elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled golf vacation experience. Log on to BoyneGolf.com and see why they're at the heart of America's summer golf capital. Come to where history meets luxury at the family-friendly French Lick Springs Hotel, where there's something for everyone, from kids' fest to shopping, bowling, golf, and other outdoor activities. Or at the West Baden Springs Hotel, you can wrap yourself in old-world elegance, visit our luxurious spa, indulge in an afternoon tea, a historic tour, and multiple sophisticated dining options. Then, finish your day with a cozy carriage ride before turning in for sweet dreams. Only this isn't a dream. Visit FrenchLick.com to plan your vacation today. What's your bucket list destination? Where have you always wanted to go? What's the number one thing that holds people back from doing that? It's fear of logistics. I don't know where to stay. I don't know how to get tea times. I don't know where to go. I don't know who should take me there. Well, I'll tell you who knows the answer to all those questions. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. That's why the Fairways of Life show has aligned ourselves with these experts. And is there some place you want to go, like the Open or a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup? They can take care of that as well. What is your golf bucket list? Where do you want to go? Do it with TheGolfTravelGroup.com. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the all-new Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try the new Tour B. The Tour Ball. Reinvented. Let's face it, there's no better feeling than getting new golf gear. And where you get your golf gear matters. 
PGA Tour Superstore is America's number one golf retailer. Whatever you're looking for, they have it. And you can get custom fit. You can shop online or safely in their stores. At the PGA Tour Superstore, you'll always find golf's biggest brands and all the latest equipment right at your fingertips. If you need it or want it, they've got it. Log on to PGATourSuperstore.com to upgrade your game today. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show on this Tuesday. It is Arnold Palmer Invitational Week nearby at Bay Hill. Really looking forward to getting over and seeing the course and seeing the field and watching a little bit of play. Maybe it will give more of a sense of normalcy, I guess. So super excited about what we have for you coming up. Uh, As I was mentioning before we went to break, we had the honor of sitting down with Arnold Palmer in what turned out to be his last full-length, free-flowing interview, uh, meaning that no one asked us, Dom, I mean, you set up the interview. I don't remember anyone ever saying to us, what are you going to talk to Mr. Palmer about or anything else? I just, I just remember you saying, hey, we have the interview. It's set up, and it's at the cottage by the 18th at, at, at Bay Hill. Were, were there any, I've never asked you this, Don, but were there any conditions put on that interview in advance that you recall? Absolutely none. There were no conditions at all. We didn't even have a time limit. They just said, yeah, you guys can go here and talk about whatever you want to talk about. Amazing. So I had the camera. We, we, we did it. The way this interview was shot, what, what you're about to see, is we did it with one camera set only on Mr. Palmer. Now, it had all kinds of lighting and rigging set up and all the rest, of course. But it wasn't about you know, a second camera or me re-asking questions that get edited in later and all the rest. I was off camera. It was just about Mr. Palmer. And I got to this tiny little house right off the 18th green at, at, at Bay Hill, as I mentioned. And I, I, I walked in, I looked around and it had a, a, a little tiny galley kitchen. The dining area had a slate stone floor, which clearly at one time had been outside that they enclosed because they needed more space. It had a little sitting room uh, in the back and it had one bedroom that I saw, which was tiny. And I suspect that there probably was another one behind the galley kitchen, I never saw it. So maybe two bedrooms, it was tiny. And so we were set up, we had everything in place and we were waiting for Mr. Palmer to arrive. We expected that, you know, there would be some people that that would come in in advance of him and all the rest. And I was sitting on on kind of a stool and the cameras were set up, the lighting, everything was set. And we heard the door handle start to to move and it's Florida. And the door started to open and and the light creased the the edge of the door like a laser beam. And then the the door opened enough that we could see the unmistakable uh, silhouette of Arnold Palmer. Uh, still in his, in his later 80s with that same powerful image that he always had, kind of like a, a, a crooked stance, and, and he started to make his way down the hallway, labored. And he made it to the high back chair, which you're about to see, and he sat down kind of with, you know, heavy. And all of us thought at one point or another, should we help him? Do you, do you need any help with this? None of us dared help 
the man because we knew from pride alone, one, he wouldn't want it, and, and two, frankly, he didn't need it. He, he got to where he was going. And, and as I mentioned, it was, it was with some labor because he had been hurt. So we sat down and he kind of went, he, he looked around the tiny little place and, and kind of exhaled. And he said softly, now this was a guy at the time that was still making at least $30 million per year. And he looked around this tiny little house and he said to no one in particular in a soft voice, he said, I used to live here. And he said, and I'm thinking about moving back again. And I thought that that just spoke to the humility of, of Arnold Palmer. Just, it, it was incredible. So we get all set, ready to go with the interview, his microphones put on him and so forth. And I have in front of me a, a, a pad and I had written down on the pad a, a list of accomplishments by Arnold Palmer. And I was nervous and I was looking down at the pad and I was, I was reading through my, my various bullet points and I didn't realize until I saw the, the interview I think the first time we played it in a broadcast medium was on Golf Channel. And at that time, I was, I guess I'll use the word shocked to see, but in a pleasant way. I don't mean that in a negative way. That as I, again, I had my head down at that point when I was there with Mr. Palmer. My head was down at the sheet, so I couldn't see that as he was sitting in that chair you could see him lighting up in that, in that sparkle that he had in his eye. You could see him lighting up as I was recounting his life's accomplishments. I thought it was an incredibly cool moment, uh, an experience to share with, with Arnold Palmer. And because when you have living legends like that, they are automatically human bridges. Uh, representing their own era, obviously, but but times before them. And so in the interview you're about to hear as well, at one point, again, I don't, once I got through that, that list of, of accomplishments by Mr. Palmer that I wanted to make sure, and it was only partial, but I wanted to make sure that I mentioned, after that, it was completely unstructured. There, there were no questions that were prearranged, as Dom told you, or that I even knew we were going to go. I, I, my philosophy on interviews is I kind of try to let the person that you're interviewing guide you as to what, what to ask next. Uh, and I think if you listen, that they pretty much always give you an indication of where they want to go. So at one point, uh, I, I asked Mr. Palmer, in what you're about to see and hear, to give me his reaction, the first thing that popped in his head when I said a name. And yeah, Bobby Jones, Walter Hagen, et cetera, et cetera, Jack Nicholas, all of them. And Think about that for a second. So what you're about to see and hear, I think, is very important because it captures a very distinctive piece of the game's history. And having had the chance to, to sit down with Mr. Palmer like this, and, and, and I was fortunate uh, thankfully, to be around him a lot. He wrote the foreword to my first golf book called Fairways of Life. That's why this show is called what it is. Uh, he was just an incredible individual. And I hope you guys enjoy this because for this week of the Arnold Palmer Invitational, we thought there, there really is no better time to celebrate who he was and what he meant uh, than this week. And hopefully a no better way to do that 
than to hear it in his own words. Champion, architect, ambassador, mentor, role model, icon, legend, the king. There's a lot of names that describe Arnold Palmer. His accomplishments, however, probably describe it most emphatically. Fifth all-time on tour and wins. A four-time Masters champion in 1958, 1960, 1962, and 1964. The U.S. Open champion in 1960. Winner of the Open Championship in 1961 and 1962. In 1974, he went into the World Golf Hall of Fame. Overall, he has more than 90 professional victories. Leading money winner, four times. PGA Player of the Year, two times. Varden Trophy winner, four times. The Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year in 1960. The Bob Jones Award recipient in 1971. Old Tom Morris Award in 1983. The PGA Tour Lifetime Achievement Award in 1988. The Payne Stewart Award in 2000. The Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2004. The Congressional Gold Medal in 2009. Arnold Palmer played on six Ryder Cup teams, last playing captain, in fact, for the United States, and was captain again in 1975. Mr. Palmer, it's nice to have your company, sir. Thank you. How are you feeling? Pretty good. I'm starting to uh, get back to normal. I feel fine. Thank you. you. The shoulder, you dislocated it in December, correct? Yes. What happened? I fell. I was on my way to speak at the father-son and slipped on a carpet and did a 360 and landed on my shoulder. And it's been a long, hard battle to try to get it better. Yeah, the healing has to take some time. Did you know right away the severity of the injury? Could you tell when you went down? Well, I knew it wasn't good when I hit the floor, and uh, it scared me. Uh, I've got to say that, and uh, I've been working hard to get it back. I feel like I'm about ready to go, but <laughs> it'll be it'll be a couple of days yet. Is it uh, a foregone conclusion that the thing you miss the most is the ability to swing a golf club right now? Well, uh, you know, I always fiddle with clubs, and I hit the swing all the time, and I haven't been able to do that uh, since the accident. When, when will <clears throat> they let you start to putt or at least uh, chip a little bit? Well, I hit some shots, uh, various shots uh, on the range, uh, wedges and that sort of thing. But that's about as far as I've gone. And uh, my therapist says uh, another day or two will not hurt, just hold off. I have to tell you, Mr. Palmer, that in January of this year, my oldest son, uh, who he blew his ACL out playing soccer, and he was operated on at the Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital. And in as much as, you know, having a child go through any type of surgery is, is a disconcerting experience, the experience at the hospital that bears your name was as pleasant as it possibly could be. <coughs> and I wonder... <coughs> When you list all those accompl- when you hear all those accomplishments that you have to your credit in your life, where does that hospital place for you personally? Well, it's right at the top of the list. It's uh, the hospital, what they do for the kids uh, is, and ladies is wonderful. Uh, the doctors, the aides, uh, the, the workers that are given their time to take care of the hospital 
It's pretty fantastic. I have to say, respectfully, at 85 years young, even with the, the injury and the healing, you look good, you look vibrant, you still have that spark in your eye. Are you enjoying your work still? Does it still motivate you every day? Oh, yes. I, I still work every day, and I still uh, get a kick out of it. And uh, sometimes I get tired and want to go to sleep and do. Uh, but that's the difference. Uh, and, and I miss playing golf. Uh, that's something that uh, I never done in my life, uh, not played. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to hitting the ball. To this point of your work, during the Arnold Palmer Invitational presented by MasterCard, you discussed with the assembled media that you're building a golf course in Scotland, and it's your first one in Scotland. Could you talk to us about that project? Well, it's one that uh, I'm looking forward to. It <laughs> is a new project for me. Uh, it's just north of St. Andrews, and uh, it's one that uh, we're going to really put a lot of time into, and and hopefully make it a really great golf course. One of the stories that I just heard recently was, and I guess it was prompted by, you know, Rory had a club throw in Doral. And someone told a story about when you were a kid, you were in a junior tournament, I believe, right? And you threw a club. Could you tell us that story and what happened? Well, I, I was playing in a junior tournament. I was 16 and uh, I was playing pretty good. And I was playing the mayor of Pittsburgh's son, uh, Waddell, and uh, I missed a, a short putt on the uh, 17th hole, and I turned and let the putter fly, and over a row of trees, and and my father was there, and, and as it turned out, I hold the putt on the last hole to win the match, and I got in the car to go home with my family, and it was dead silent. There was not a sound. and I expected something at least nice going or something. The next thing I heard was the chewing out. And, and if you ever do that again, you'll never play golf as long as you live in my house. And that was my father talking, and he was very serious. Did you ever throw a club again? Well, maybe a little pitch, but not <laughs> real bad. I, 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 that taught me a lesson. When you think about your dad and the lessons that he taught you over the years, could you boil it down to one philosophy or one piece of advice? Well, I learned everything I know from my father, and uh, and I can't ever... Uh, thank him enough for what he did for me in my youth. I've heard you speak about your dad in saying that he concentrated on the fundamentals, the fundamentals of the game from from grip onward. Uh, could you comment on, on that perspective from, from your dad? Well, he was a, a fundamental man. He, he was very basic. Uh, he taught me a grip, the stance, the position, uh, and all the things that I learned about the game of golf, he taught me. And I can't, as I said, I can't thank him enough because it was something that I still use uh, every day of my life. And uh, I'm very grateful for what he did. 
When he puts your hands on the club, that grip, that famous grip, what did he say to you? He said, now, don't you ever change that, boy. And, and I knew he meant it. And I haven't. I still hold the club much to the way that he put my hands on the club. That strength in fundamentals, that giving you the belief that you can do it the way that you see it. I, I think back to the story, 1954, U.S. Amateur, Wilson Golf sends Gene Sarazen out to scout you, and he came back and said he lunges at the ball, he plays a hook. I don't see it developing into much. We just recounted what you developed into. Was that part of the motivation, the competitive makeup of Arnold Palmer to, at least initially, to prove to the world that you can do this? Well, that's one of the other things that my father taught me uh, in my learning stages of the game of golf. He, he gave me the basic fundamentals, and, uh, and he taught me not to talk too much about what I could do, show people. And he drove that home with me, he said. And, and it's something that I remember very, very well. Uh, show them. Don't talk about it. When you have quiet times to reflect, to sit in front of a fireplace perhaps and just relax, where does your mind go? What are the, what are the times that you look back on and reflect? Well, of course, I, I usually remember the good times we had, uh, the golfing days, the, the things that I did with my father and mother. Uh, and they, they are all things that are very pleasant, things that I love, uh, whether it's skiing down the hill or ice skating or playing golf. Uh, they, were, they were all things that were very pleasant. And today I enjoy remembering them. When you go back to Augusta National, one of the things I wanted, I've been dying to ask you about is the champion's dinner. Can you remember your first champion's dinner? Oh, yes. Uh, and, of course, I remember most of the people that were there. And uh, uh, there wasn't a large crowd. It was very limited. And it was wonderful. Uh, 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 Sarzen was there, for sure. And Bob Jones uh, was one of my favorites, and he was there. And, uh, and it was nice to talk to him, to talk to these people, uh, because it was my first dinner. And to hear them and listen to them uh, tell stories about how some of the other golfers played, and the guys like Claude Harmon, and uh, guys that were really known for what they did and how they played was was fun. Was there anyone over those years and since, was there anyone that you in particular wanted to sit next to at this champion's dinner because you knew it would be entertaining? Well, no, but I enjoyed Kerry Middlecoff. And Byron Nelson was one of my very favorites of all time. I think that he might have been the best that I ever had uh, the opportunity to know and to talk to, and, and and he talked to me about things that he has done and he did, and those are things that I'll never forget. That is impressive. What was Bob Jones like to be around? Uh, Bob Jones was a great guy. He was one that talked uh, 
and didn't mind talking. I remember uh, he watched me make a putt on one of the holes that, during a match, and it was about an eight-footer. And, and when I finished, he, he came over to me and he said, Arn, he says, let me tell you something. He says, if I ever have a putt for my life, I'm going to come and get you to putt it for me. That just sent a chill through Isn't me. it fun? Yeah, it's fun. I want to, if, if I may, I want to ask you about some historic figures in the game and, and your recollection and reaction to them. Walter Hagen. Walter Hagen was also a very close friend, and I corresponded with him. He was the first man that I talked to after I uh, won the Open, uh, and, and uh, he called me on the phone and congratulated me, and what a thrill that was. And then I got to know him. I met with him a number of times, and he said, Now, Arnie, he, a couple things he said that were very pointed. He said, When I die, he says, I want you to remember that I asked you to be a, my, be a pallbearer for me. And, you know, things like that that were... Uh, and he was sick at the time. And, uh, of course, he thrilled me to death with his with things that he told me. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, I was a pallbearer in the Walter Hagen funeral. Wow. Dow Finsterwald. One of my best friends ever. Uh, Dow and I have been close since uh, we played, uh, well, amateur golf and then professional golf and we traveled together all over the world and uh, he was he, he a very close personal friend that that I'm very proud to say we've been friends all our lives. Sam Snead. Sam Snead is a guy that you never get real close to Sam but he and I were buddies because we played on a lot of teams together and, and he was a guy that uh, he never forgot anything, and, and of course I remember that. And uh, he was—he uh, was a good guy. He was a good guy. He—he he didn't waste words too much. He said what he had on his mind, and and got on with it. I've—I've I've talked to you in the past about your relationship with Ben Hogan, and in my reflection on it, I would describe it as complicated. Is that fair? Well, I suppose that's fair. Uh, Hogan and I, I wouldn't ever call the relationship really close, although we were partners and we talked a lot. Uh, but we were never real close buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan uh, never called me by my name. He it was always, hey you, or uh, fella, or something like that, which I objected to a little bit. How about Gary Player? Gary and I are very close. We were close all our lives. We played big three golf, and uh, we did a lot of things together, a lot of shows, a lot of uh, golf, and something that uh, I think that will last forever. Of course, I have to ask you about Jack Nicklaus. Well, Jack is a good friend. He's a... He is a personal friend, and he's a guy that uh, I can appreciate and understand very well and enjoy being with. There were a couple players that golf lost 
in recent months that I wanted to ask you about. One that you're directly, both that you're directly tethered to. The first, Kel Nagel, who passed away, of course, the, which takes us back to the 1960 Open Championship. And I wonder if you could speak to that man for a second. Well, Cal was the guy that kept me from winning the Open at uh, St. Andrews, and he played very well, and and I knew him pretty well, and he was a really nice man. He's one of the nicest men uh, that I have had an association with in the game of golf. And uh, I, I enjoyed our relationship, the fact that we spent time together and uh, competed against each other uh, many, many times. And uh, he was a guy that I will always remember. Mr. Billy Casper, of course, passed away recently. Well, Bill Casper was a good friend also, even though we didn't spend a lot of time together. Uh, We played competitively all of our active life. And Bill was a much better player than anybody gave him credit for being. Uh, He played the game very well and, and was a good guy. He was... He, he was a good guy and a good friend to me. When you look at the game today, and you've described it to me in the past that players today are very physical, to, it was the word that you used with me. If you could, through, through some stroke of magic, if you could have lived and competed in a different time than that which you did, would you take that option? Would you be competing at a different time? Would I like to be competing at a different time? I'm not sure. I think I had the opportunity to play in the best time of my life. Uh, the golfers were good. Uh, the Hogans, the Sneeds, the Sarsons, uh, the uh, Nelson, uh, Middlecoffs, they were great players. And it was a thrill for me to have played against all of them. What is the next mountain to climb for Arnold Palmer? Well, I'd like to see uh, golf continue on the road that it's, it's, it's on. I hear people say golf is falling. I don't think it is. I think it's just pausing right now for a little get back to it again. And I think that we will see uh, these young people that are coming along will make a great difference in the game of golf in the years to come. Are you impressed with the young players today? I am very impressed by some of them. Yes, they're very good. If there was one thing in today's game, in the golf game today, you could change, what would that one thing be? I suppose that I'd leave the game alone. I'd play, I'd try to speed it up a little bit. I think that would be uh, uh, something that we could use very much in, in the game now to get these young people to play a little quicker. Uh, And for the rest of it, I think it's very good. Years and years from now, Mr. Palmer, what do you want the legacy of Arnold Palmer to be? Well, uh, I suppose just that I have made a contribution to the game to help make it a little better. You have that, sir. Thank you for your time today. Thank you.